Oklahoma and Arkansas. Over 100 Unitarian Universalist women gathered together this weekend. It was glorious. We told stories, we sang, we heard fabulous music, worshipped and shared meals. We danced, created art, attended incredible mind-opening workshops. We learned tools for crossing our cultural difficulties more skillfully. So, pardon me while I make a pitch right here and now for a group from Hope caravanning to San Marcos in the beautiful Texas Hill Country next year, same time next year. And the keynote speaker is going to be the president of Star King, which is one of our two Unitarian Universalist seminaries. Dr. Rebecca Parker is passionate, smart, dynamic, and not to be missed. One piece of wisdom that distills the whole weekend comes from yesterday's main speaker, Her name was Kelly McLeod Shingen. And she said, the shortest distance between two strangers is a story. The proverb is the perfect springboard for where we will travel together today in this service and sermon. The shortest distance between two strangers captures how far apart we often feel from one another, how suspicious we can be of each other. Language and skin color, ability, age, politics, theology, gender spectrum frequently divide us. And the distance is less obvious in familiar situations. Familiarity can be a tricky thing. For example, in our beloved churches, where we often know each other's names, faces, and even pretty personal details, we do not always know the full, messy, and triumphant stories of our lives. We remain strangers to each other on a deep level about those things that often matter most to us. So in in today's reading, I really like how Ernie Cortez says, we talk at each other rather than to each other. We engage in station identification. We carve out our predetermined positions. We may give polite airtime to the other person while we think about what we're going to say. And he points out that it's fear that keeps us from wanting to have significant conversations. We fear uncovering tension or conflict. And fear isn't the only roadblock. It takes 
time to fully hear a different point of view. We have to throw off our consumer impulses to be efficient. We have to welcome uncertainty because who knows where a real conversation might go. In order to engage in dialogue, to shorten that distance between us, requires a listening discipline. We can't become lazy, resting on familiarity, lapsing into tribalism. We must be curious about each other's stories. Because our Unitarian and Universalist traditions revere investigation and questions, oh my gosh, and questions, our churches are dynamic places to develop inquisitiveness. We can create full-blown cultures of curiosity. This is our potential. But when a congregation seems to be a monoculture, to all be too similar, I suspect that church has lost its sense of curiosity. Members may be making too many assumptions about the stories and experiences of others, propping up a facade of intimacy and respect. And I think recovering vitality does not require importing diversity from the outside, but unearthing the variations already inherent in our stories, in our experiences. When we begin to value our differences, ask about them, be willing to talk about them, we're beginning to stretch our boundaries. We're beginning to make room for the stranger, for the parts of us that are strangers to each other, the strangers among us, and the strangers who walk in our door. This radical hospitality involves risks. But only in risking, only in asking, only in listening to stories is meaningful change and meaningful growth possible. Another reason our UU churches are well-suited for this important work of reconnecting human beings by story is our polity, the structure of how our churches operate. Each church is an independent entity, but each church is governed by a democratic structure. Democracy is very, very hard work. Running a church as a democracy requires leadership skills allowing people to thoughtfully engage one another in their experiences and their hopes and their dreams and their expectations of the church. Dip into any decade of Hope's history and you'll find the church working through the challenges of being a democracy. And here we still stand. Democracy rests on the spiritual practices of listening 
and understanding? Our democratic systems demand we reflect on our own experiences in the light of those of others rather than rushing to judgment based on instinct. So this definition of democracy brings, based on dialogue, brings us back around to story and the shortest distance between two people. In a very real sense, our churches teach democratic skills of public life, of conversation, of debate, and of compromise. Alton very early on said, religious education in the morning, there has to be time for discussion. Okay, he's right. Because debate and how to listen and how to tell stories and how to have a different opinion, that is no longer widely taught in our institutions and in our neighborhoods. As Ernie Cortez said, at one time, it was in our nation's schools and unions and settlement homes and houses of worship and other community centers where we were taught the habits for active citizenship, for a vibrant democratic culture. So where I'm going is making a connection between truly valuing our differences, creating a church of curiosity, and then extending those skills beyond our church walls. Telling stories to shorten the distance between two strangers applies to social justice issues. Working with others, working with strangers to be a powerful force in the community means taking time to share stories and experiences. So let me tell you a story. Two years ago, when I lived part-time in Oklahoma City, I attended an event that brought together 1,200 people. By one measure, that's nothing special. A good rock concert brings together 20 times as many. What made the day and the gathering truly momentous was how this gathering brought together over 20 religious institutions. Catholic, Methodist, African American, non-denominational, Unitarian Universalist, Jewish. Just to name a few. And this gathering even included public schools and nonprofit service agencies. Together, these institutions, religious and secular, had created a community organization. This was the first time they had all met together. They looked around and they were amazed at themselves. And it all began in their home institutions, in the individual church, in the individual school. Each had been trained how to hold listening campaigns and house meetings. And it took over three years to listen 
and hear a good number of the stories, to hear a majority of the stories. As I said earlier, the process of getting to know someone, to listen to their story, to tell your own story, and then develop a relationship, takes time. At the listening sessions, the questions they discussed were not, how can we become a better church or synagogue? How can we grow? What they talked about was much more personal and intimate and immediate. They explored the stories of how their families were faring. They told what economic and social issues affected their families most. They asked, what is the one thing you would change to make life in Oklahoma City better for your family and your community? They told personal stories. The questions created a holding place for truly getting to know each other. They began to fully understand what pressures they and their loved ones were facing. And they came to understand, oh, you're dealing with that too. These meetings created the shortest distance between two people. Then four people. And then the shortest distance among all present. When I was the intern at First Unitarian, they had just finished holding these listening meetings at their church. And the church was electrified by the process. Initially, no one thought there would be much to say to to each other. We all know each other. But as people told the stories of their lives, they discovered commonalities and differences they never knew existed. The youth group, held their own listening sessions, and it came to light. A majority of them were on reduced lunch and free breakfast programs. The facade of an upper middle-class church being just fine was torn away when everyone got real. Those in-depth conversations began to name key local issues and identify people who were passionate, willing to research and take action. And these meetings had a snowball effect. Old relationships were strengthened and new ones created. Next, different institutions came together to have similar listening sessions with each other. The pattern was repeated using story to find the shortest distance between this new set of strangers. I traveled for a listening session with a group from First Unitarian in central Oklahoma City to the Divine Wisdom Worship Center 15 miles south across the river to Midwest City, a very different segment of the city. It was the meeting of very distinct cultures and seeming stereotypes. The meeting took place in Divine Wisdom Sanctuary, which was an old Kmart, refitted for theatrical seating and a stage. 
I think you can imagine it. And it was a meeting of the white, scientific-minded, hopeful, wanting-to-do-good Unitarians and the African-American, evangelical, thoughtful, and cautious Christians. We sat in a circle and introduced ourselves. Then we broke into one-on-one meetings to tell our stories to discuss the same pressures in our families and what would change in Oklahoma City. And the conversations didn't flow easily. For good reason. This church was skeptical of a groups of whites coming down south to visit. How many times had whites come to their African-American community to help them and to fix them and to tell them what they needed? So some of the stories they told was about this pattern of insensitive paternalism. Like I said, relationships take time. One meeting was not enough. But even at first, things began to warm, became clear that we weren't there to impose anything. And common concerns about public education, prisons, Public transportation cropped right up. So returning to that meeting of 1,200, everyone there had gone through similar meetings. Divine Wisdom was there. First Unitarian was there. Each person had listened to stories and told their own. They had made connections across all the lines that tend to divide us. They were building trust. And they had discovered the power of these collective stories and of working together on mutual concerns. That one meeting of 1,200 had been four years in the making. But it was a powerful launch of a new community organization that brings people together to create relationships, to build power together, and through that, make important changes in their community. So I'd like to picture, what would a meeting like that in Tulsa look like? 1,200 different people coming together. Let's meet in north or northeast Tulsa at one of those sanctuaries. Imagine 20 different churches and schools coming together. Well, a sister organization is beginning in Tulsa, and I've been working on it with others for the past two and a half years. We've been meeting one-on-one with community leaders and clergy and congregations and doing that work, developing relationships, honoring stories. For the moment, the group is called the Tulsa Sponsoring Committee, the most unsexy name I can think of. It does not trip off the tongue or say much, but, but, that, but for good reason, because this group, as all groups that are like this, they wait to choose a name that reflects the community, that reflects Tulsa, after we've done that legwork of meeting and listening 
and listening across theological and church divides and racial divides. Once we are 1,200 strong, the name will be very clear. So I'm inviting Hope Church to consider becoming one of the founding members of this local movement. I invite Hope to step out as a leader. And because we're a democracy, this invitation will require a congregational vote. The church might be ready at our May meeting, or we may need more time, and that's fine. But we can start the life-changing work of telling our stories now. I really, I'm, I'm curious what each one of you would change to make life in Tulsa better for your family. What stories do you have to share? What pressures is your family under? The work begins here with us, and it has the potential to electrify the congregation. It will strengthen and expand our outreach in a powerful and effective way. It means learning to operate even more effectively within interfaith, cross-class, multi-ethnic, and multiracial settings. It means cultivating power with others in Tulsa to make critical, necessary change. And I think this work embodies our UU slogan of standing on the side of love, listening to the stories of a stranger is an act of love. Agreeing to work together, honoring both the differences and the similarities is an act of love. The problems that this group in Tulsa will work on and the actions they will choose will depend entirely upon the stories that come out of our conversations. The Tulsa Sponsoring Committee won't impose issues or dictate what we work on. Every community is different, has different needs, pressing concerns. At the same time, I can imagine stories from this congregation that might come up in our house meetings. They might include issues of transportation. I can see health care. Education. How do we push back against our governor and Barisi in a thoughtful way? Or how do we work with them in a thoughtful way? It's not about taking sides. You never know. At one point, you may be on the opposite side with someone, and then the next issue... You need them to be your best friend. So if you have a relationship. So we have that chance to experience work from the Oklahoma City group. The work that they've done, they've been working in a lot of areas, but they've done um, particular work on public education. The parents uh, in many of the churches and schools told stories about the struggles with the increasing testing. These testing demands were affecting the children, family life, teacher effectiveness, what went on in the classroom. So 
the Oklahoma City group has researched the history and the money trail of the high-stakes testing culture. And then they've created a powerful presentation called A through F Grading, the Impact on Our Schools. And they are bent on making change, so they have a specific goal of showing it to over 1,000 groups around the state. So they're going to be showing it here at Hope on March 9th at our 10 o'clock adult education forum. So you'll have a chance to see it, ask questions. Um, you'll get a taste of what might come out of a group like this. And you'll see how developing relationship leads to creating an action to launch change. And if you want more, maybe you want to sample the kind of training that they provide so that people really do listen well. Then there is training for how to hold a house meeting, honor stories, and build leadership. So the Tulsa Sponsoring Committee is holding two brief trainings on March 11th, and one in the morning is here at Hope, and the second is in the evening at Church of the Resurrection. That's a Catholic church around 51st and Yale. You can come to both because they'll be different, but they'll be run by the lead organizer who's been doing a lot of this work in Oklahoma City. And I'll make sure there's information in the focus and in the highlights with details. And if you're a guest here today, I don't want you to feel left out. Your city or community may already have a congregational-based community organizing group. If not, there's a lot of support for this work within our denomination. You can get on the UUA website to see articles and stories of many other UU congregations around the country involved in this. Because I, I believe this work is important because it starts with the individual's experience. It fosters real conversations about real experiences without ideological shouting matches. It embodies the shortest distance between two strangers is a story. May we have many chances to tell our stories to each other and to listen with full attention. This is where love and change reside. May it be so.